Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze end zone. He hit it. Five hundred career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there. He'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers interview. It's great to have Jerry Rice on the program. I mean, it's a great story, you know, about the Hall of Famer, maybe the best pro football player, not just receiver in the in the history of the game, and and still going, just in in different ways here on CMI, the Chris Myers interview. But I love the story. We'll get back to it, whether you've heard it before or read about it in his book, the the son of a brick mason from Mississippi, uh, working his way up uh, to become uh, the best at at what he does and enjoying life now. So, Jerry, anyway, it's good to uh, to catch up with you. How are you doing these days? Good. I'm doing pretty good, Chris. Everything is going well. Are you watching uh, receivers, guys that younger than you? And it's a, it's a, you know, you play the game, and you never, if you were a diva receiver, you never showed it. <laughs> I think a generation shows it in a different way, as talented as they are. Of the receivers today, uh, who catches your eye in terms of doing what they do best? Yeah, you know, I would still say Odell Beckham, uh, Julio Jones, uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, and the list just goes on and on because, uh, you know, I think the game is more tailored to the receivers now than when I played back in the day because uh, receivers are more protected. That's a good point. We talk about quarterback numbers, but when you play, not to sound like two old guys sitting on a porch here, but uh, the, the defense was allowed to, to do a lot more physically, right? I mean, not only rushing the passer and the quarterback, but the way they would, the way they would hit the receivers or at least uh, hang on to you guys at the line of scrimmage. Well, Chris, the thing is, if I was on the backside – and if the ball was not even being thrown my way, I was getting hit. <laughs> you can't do that in today's football anymore uh, because, you know, they wanted to uh, protect the players more. Uh, but, you know, I think I played in an era where uh, I wanted the defensive back to be real physical downfield, so I, I knew exactly where he was at at all times. And I think that's the reason why I was able to come out of my routes and get separation and catch the ball. And you didn't miss much when it got near your hands. But 20 years you play, and talk about physical. When you mention those receivers, too, Larry Fitzgerald jumps out at me. And maybe just maybe the closest to, in terms of longevity, the kind of complete player uh, that, that he is. What, what, what separates some of the receivers today? And I, I noticed, too, and I don't, I don't recall in your early years, having covered you through the years, and I, I just always want to ask this because fans ask me, receivers wear these gloves. When you mentioned Beckham, it looks, you know, yeah, they right. can make one-handed catches, but it looks like the gloves are so tacky that, you know, they, the ball almost sticks to them. And I don't want to detract from any skill of a receiver, but what's your theory on that? Well, yeah, the gloves are tacky now, but you still have to be able to catch the ball. And, uh, you know, that was something I, I think my first year, uh, I was glove gloveless, uh, I think my first year. And then it became like sort of a cool factor to have on gloves. You know, it went with the uniform. It made me look good. So I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. So, you know, I I watched Dwight Clark. I uh, also Freddie Solomon, all of those guys. And then after my first year, I just uh, stuck with the gloves. And uh, But you still got to have the talent to get separation, uh, to catch the football, then to be able to do something 
after you catch the football. So, you know, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was something that was real cool for me. And, uh, and I look at the receivers today, they got, you know, I think the gloves are more tacky now than when I played. Yeah, and they go, you know, go with the uniform. You were a, uh, if I recall, I, certainly your uniform when you played, but just meticulous about everything you you did, from your training to your preparation to, I guess, to your wardrobe or how you, how you dressed. Are you still that way? Yeah, I'm still that way. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't changed at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I if I have an appearance, uh, it's all about the statement. It's the the way you look. You know, when I used to go on road trips uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, it was, uh, you know, how you dress. It was a uh, business attire. And because, you know, I looked at uh, going on a road trip or going to play an opponent as, uh, you know, it was a business. And, and appearance was everything. And the presentation is everything. And it's still like that today. You know, I remember when I would put my uniform on, uh, at the stadium, I would lay everything out. I had to have a new pair of shoes, a new pair of socks. The pants had to fit a certain way. The jersey, the jersey had to be nice and tucked, and my helmet had to be nice and clean. So I felt <laughs> like, you know, uh, everything is in place. Now I can go out and I can play my best football. Yeah, like like you're you getting ready for Sunday school, and I, I remember your uniform even even <laughs> after a game. But you, so you were saying though, every game you had the new the new uniform, yeah. right? You didn't have, you weren't superstitious about well, I need these same socks or this same jersey underneath or that oh. type of thing. No, no, no. And uh, George Seifert, he had this one sweater that he always had to wear uh, that Saturday before the game. And it was this old, old sweater. And and then I think uh, what happened with him that Sunday, he normally packed, I think he, he packed like the sweater. He forgot the sweater and he was just freaking out. And I, and I, you know, I never wanted to be in that position, but, you know, I was one of those guys that just had to have a, just a new pair of shoes and a new pair of socks. You know, and, and that, uh, the pants and, and all that. Yeah, no, and I and that reminds me of Pat Riley, you know, the, the Laker coach, and then, of course, now with the Miami Heat and as a player in his day. And I, I know he used to talk about he didn't have a lot of money growing up. So he, you know, when he got his first dress pants, he would iron them himself and he wanted to make sure he looked good. And that you know, he, <laughs> he, he, he was one of the sharpest dress guys courtside. So uh, going back to your roots, where did, where did that, as far as the styling come from? Is there something deeper with that? Or that was just, as you said, you wanted to look the part. No, you just brought back memories of a Mississippi Valley State University. We didn't have that much at this predominant black school, uh, this HBCU and stuff like that. So I had to wash my pants after practice. If I wanted to have uh, a clean pair of pants for the next practice, then also, you know, for the games and stuff like that, you know, uh, man, you, if I if I had a little money or something sent to me, I would go uh, downtown Greenwood, Mississippi, to this uh, sporting goods store and they had gloves and I would buy a pair of gloves or something like that. <laughs> I think it all started from Mississippi Valley State University. <laughs> it came, you came a long way and I, you know, we're all motivated by different things. And you, I, I remember <laughs> talking to you about motivation through the years. And, and, and I think one of the things, I don't know whether I read this, Jerry, you said it earlier is that you would tell yourself either before every game or you got out there to line up that, you know, I'm not good enough or I haven't done it yet, or I have to prove myself. I forget the exact terminology uh, just, yeah. to, just to keep, but you tell us how you were able to do that to stay not only, at, at a high level, but to, to be there consistently, not just game in and game out, but seem like play in and play out. Well, I, I think the thing, I, I use that to motivate me because I just felt like I never had arrived. 
you know, and, you know, I was putting up outstanding numbers. I was uh, winning Super Bowls. I was doing everything, but I still felt like I still had more inside of me where I could go work harder and become a better receiver. So I never got complacent or anything like that. And, you know, my, one of my coaches, uh, uh, told me Larry Kersey way back in the day, he said, Jerry, one day you got to sit back and you got to smell the road. Right. You got to think about everything that you have accomplished. And for some reason, I would never let that in my head. And I just kept pushing myself. And, and I think that was that drive that, uh, that, you know, continued to make me work out during the off season to be in the best shape that I could possibly be in, then to go out and perform at a very high level. What, are you smelling the roses now? No, I still can't smell the roses. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're still working. And, uh, you'll, do you ever think that it's it's too much? I mean, what's a relaxing day for for Jerry? Obviously, you're not. Yeah, I mean, when you were playing, it was one thing because you were looking at tape or physically doing it. But what, what's a relaxing day for you? you? Ever just kind of sit and watch a sunset <laughs> or, or something? <laughs> are you asking me that? Yeah. What is a relaxing day for you? You know we don't have days like that. We you're don't right. have days. You're right. We don't. We're we're afraid those days will be taken away. So you keep you, <laughs> you you keep chasing the work. And I bring that up because you're. I, I think this is cool that you're in business. I know you've done a lot of different things. You're dancing with the stars. You have businesses, motivational speaking. You help other people. But but to have and other people may have energy drinks. But to be in business with your daughter, it's called Goat Fuel. Goatfuel.com. And you, I want you to tell us about it because it's not just another drink. There, obviously with your daughter's input and your own interest, uh, it's a health energy drink if I'm describing it properly. Yes, yes. You know, uh, during this pandemic, the frontline workers and everyone, they really are like, you know, the true um, heroes. You know, they are like the greatest of all time. And I played the game for over 20 years and I wanted to put a healthier drink out there. And and my daughter came to me, I, I think uh, it was after the Super Bowl in, uh, it might have been Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And she said, Dad, she said, um, she said, do you have, um, you, you know, do you have a, a energy drink? I said, have you ever thought about an energy drink? And I said, no, not really. She said, well, if, if you have one, what would you call it? I said, go feel the greatest of all time. <laughs> but it doesn't just reference to just athletes. It reference to other people and what they do in their profession, too. So, you know, uh, I wanted to put something out there healthier, and we have done that. Uh, you know, we got some big announcements coming up down the road, you know, possibility with GNC, uh, Metro Company back in Mississippi. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff on, uh, you know, uh, being a lot of drinks are being sold online. And uh, it's really building, but the thing also, I'm doing this with my daughter. And she's the CEO, and she's pretty much running the company very smart. She went to Georgetown. She's doing a fantastic job. But just to have this opportunity to work with her, I'm so excited. And uh, we out, we're not out there to compete with all these other drinks, you know, Rockstar, <laughs> right. Red Bull, all these, uh, you know, these drinks like that. But, you know, our thing is it's all about health. And I think right now coming out of this pandemic, everybody's going to be watching everything that goes into their uh, bodies. Yeah. Now, is there right? So, I, I read a little bit about it's either vegan or I. I don't know. People. Some people are concerned about caffeine, but how they get an energy boost. Can Can you tell us a little more? Yeah, about, about two hundred milligrams. Yeah, two hundred milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Uh, you know, around fifteen calories. Uh, no sugar or anything like that. And and we well what what we did 
we added a little uh, cordyceps mushrooms. We noticed that the ghosts in the Himalayas, and, and we did some study on this. Wow. They uh, had all of this energy uh, in that altitude and stuff like that. So a little, um, uh, you know, cordyceps mushrooms and stuff like that. And, and uh, it's one of those drinks that's not going to give you the jitters or anything like that. You, you know, you're just going to be just uh, feel like you're part of the ghost team. Uh, it's a mindset. And you're going to be able to accomplish whatever you want on that day. And you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a letdown. All right. So it's GOAT, the capital letters, like G-O-A-T, GOATFUEL.com. And it may be appearing, you know, at a store near you. So is your daughter the, the boss or, or you? Who has to make the big Yeah, CEO? she's the boss. She's, okay. she's, she's the boss. <laughs> you know, she runs everything by me. And, you, you know, because I'm very protective. Um, you know, I'm the, the only way I'm going to endorse something or be a part of something it it has to be the right thing. That was my, you know, that's the way I did it throughout my career. I was so focused on football. There was a lot of endorsements coming my way, but I wanted to be the best football player uh, to step on to that football field. So, you know, there's a sacrifice, there's a focus and, uh, and attention to detail, and I was able to do all those things. And some have called you the you know the goat. You and Jim Brown would have come to the best uh, hundred football yeah. players we had that last year. But that's back back at. Do you remember when it, you went from hero to goat or goat to hero? It meant a, di- a different thing. Uh, when did when did the goat G O A T greatest of all time? When did that phrase make the big turn? Uh, do, do you recall? I mean, I, yeah. I can't. See- Chris, you know what? It never did, but you know, a lot of people would call me that. And it it, it 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 just felt it felt weird, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I, I I I can't call myself that. I I, I can you know because I, I'm still one of those guys that feel like you know you have to work for everything. Uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't say I'm the greatest player of all time, but it's okay if the fans say that. But you know, I wanted to reference this to more like the GOAT family, and you know, people in in other you know in 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 other uh, uh, businesses and stuff like that and what they're doing and, and, and the sacrifices that they're making and the time that they're putting in. So it felt a little weird, you know, when I heard <laughs> that, that phase of being the GOAT, but, uh, you know, I think it's great and it's something that uh, you have to work for, you have to achieve. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. And many of your records, you still hold so many records, obviously Hall of Famer and Super Bowl titles and MVP in a Super Bowl. So I think as receiver, people safely can call you the greatest of all time. You know, we hear that about Tom Brady still playing quarterback now with the Buccaneers, that he's he's the GOAT or greatest of all time. But I, you played with two guys, and certainly Joe Montana, Steve Young, I, I, I would say could be, be in that group. When you go back, and, and I know you were asked during the time and covering that transition of these great 49er quarterbacks, when you look back, I don't know if you have time to reflect, Jerry. Uh, what, what, what did you think? Of, what, what is your thought on that transition from Montana to Young in 49er history? Man, man and Chris, that was tough because I had never caught a ball from a, a lefty, the different span of the ball, you know. And, and Steve Young, when he first came in, he was known more of a runner than, than a pocket passer. So, you know, my numbers could have been bigger if he had stayed in the pocket. 
and 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 threw the football, but he was running downfield, running up my back, <laughs> you know, doing ball games. <laughs> but but you you know, it, it's like the transition was uh, it was a little difficult. I had this one uh, trainer; he was a lefty, and, and and doing individual drills, he would just throw me balls, and I got used to you know catching from a lefty. And then Steve and I, we went on to uh, score more touchdowns than I had with uh, you know Montana. I think uh, Marvin Harrison yes. and also Pat, Peyton Manning, you know, they uh, eventually came along and they broke our uh, first down record. But, uh, man, it was like it was a tough transition at first, but I was able to uh, make that adjustment. And both quarterbacks, man, these are my two professional guys that came to work every day. If you came to a 49er practice, it was like a game situation. Everybody uh, paid attention to, to detail. We were starved. Then we could carry that on into ball game. Yeah, and I, more on those. But I, you know, even today, Adrian Peterson still does, and I don't see this a lot at, at the practices. But I saw it back when you did it, just in practice. Uh, you wouldn't on a on a little five yard or ten yard out. You'd catch it, but then you'd run all the way <laughs> down the field as if you were going for the touchdown, past the defenders. Even when I don't know the practice play didn't call for that. So that that's just part that was just built into your DNA, right? In terms of you know, even in practice, give your best. Yeah, yeah, you know, even in practice, because you practice the way you play, and and if you uh, if you mess around all week long, if you're not paying attention to what's happening, how can you turn it on on that given Sunday, that Monday during a playoff game or a Super Bowl? So repetition wise, I practice the way I play, and once I got into a ball game, I I have already done this over and over. So if I catch a ball, it, it, well, I expect to catch the ball, and I know exactly what I want to do. I, I think a lot of guys get caught off guard because they practice a certain way, and then once they get into a ball game, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I caught the ball. Now what do I do? But if you do it over and over again during practice, you don't have to think about it. Now you can just uh, be like a little kid on the football field and just uh, be creative. Is it true that, and I remember talking to Joe Montana about this uh, through Bill Walsh, that, you know, even in practice, Montana had not just throw to your hands or, or you being open, but throw to a, a specific part of your uniform or hit a, you know, whether yeah. it was a number that that detailed, right? Is that how it went? Yeah, Bill Walsh, you know, he was like uh, placement of the ball. And, and that was very important. You know, he's, you know, Bill would uh, talk to Joe all the time. He said, look, hey, look, three steps dropped ball is already in the air you can't hold on to it you can't wait for the receiver to come out of his route you know if it was a five if it was a, a 12 yard out or something like that that's five steps to joe the ball is already in the air so it's like when people sit there they're like okay how did they do that but we have done that over and over during practice and now it's just like okay doing a ball game uh you know it's just all about just uh just taking that to the field and Bill Walsh was a bit of a, I don't know if I had, having interviewed him and, and been around from where he came from, we know he was a, called a genius back before other coaches were labeled. Uh, I don't know, a fanatic, right? We see he's another detail guy. I know he studied military history, but he applied things in, in football, just like you talked about in, in detail. How, how personable was, was he with you when you guys played? Well, well Bill used this analysis. Uh, I think it's this analysis once. He said, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. He said, you know, because Bill used to box back in the day. So he would always like the way Muhammad would move and stuff like that. So, you know, his, uh, his you know, how he would jab and, and his footwork and all of that stuff. So I think 
think that was one of the things why he always took us back to fundamentals. A lot of teams don't do that. Fundamentals, fundamentals. We always went back to that. That's like route running. Uh, you know, being able to uh, uh, get away from bump and run. Uh, how you position your hands to catch the football. Uh, knowing exactly where you are on the football field, like you know, if you're on the sidelines, be able to get uh, both feet down inside, you know, inside of, uh, of the bounds and stuff like that. So he was all about that, and, and, and I think uh, he could be your best friend, but he could be your worst enemy. So he always kept you uh, sort of like uh, unbalanced. You know, he didn't want you to feel too comfortable with him. Right, and, and uh, I remember. I, <laughs> Yeah, I had one game, Chris. I had one game, and I think it was around the third game of the season against the Rams. And I think I had over uh, 10 catches, over 200-some yards, three touchdowns that night. And, you know, and Bill uh, sent someone downstairs and said, hey, look, uh, tell Jerry to come up to my office. And I'm thinking, okay, the uh, greatest coach ever is going to pat me on my back and say, hey, look, you know, great game and all that. So I go up to his office, and I walk in, and he looks at me with a straight face, and he said, look, I want more from you. <laughs> wow. I want more from you. And I, I, I didn't know what – I just shook my I just shook my head because I hate – like, I guess I didn't – you know, I feel like, okay, I guess there's more, and I have to work harder. But he was just letting me know that, you know, he was just letting me know that, you know, not to get complacent or anything like that and to really just continue to work. Yeah, but you of all people, I mean, I think he would kind of know that, that you're going to continue to work hard no matter what. But he probably wanted to emphasize that even more. Other than the, the, the left-hander and the running style, what, what were the personality differences for you for uh, between Joe Montana and Steve Young? You know, I, I would say – they were very similar. Yeah. I mean, they completely took control of the huddle. They knew exactly what they wanted to accomplish on the football field. Uh, and it was all about winning. Uh, the preparation uh, during the week, the attention to detail. Uh, Joe, Joe was that uh, type of quarterback that didn't really hold on to the ball that long because, you know, they always questioned his arm strength. But Joe, you know, Joe had that velocity on the ball if he wanted to get it in there. But he was just one of those guys that would always anticipate exactly what you were going to do. And we pretty much had uh, good body language, and we understood each other. So that's why he could release the ball early. And Steve, uh, I think he became uh, one – he had the highest uh, passer rating uh, in the NFL for a while. So, you know, both guys just really worked hard, and, and they were uh, like total, total professionals uh, on the football field and also off the football field. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. They found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. Now, the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers than they could before. And now, people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Even though it worked out great for the 49ers and Steve Young and their fans and yourself, as you pointed out, this with Steve Young taking over, but it was hard to still accept. And Joe Montana went to Kansas City and, and did get them to yeah. time the Chiefs of the playoffs. But but seeing him in a different uniform, I mean, that, that still had to be a little a little jolting for you. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough because, you know, I, I, I looked like, well, I looked at Joe as like being uh, God and cleats. <laughs> 
And who would have who would have thought that the San Francisco 49ers would let him go? But I think it sent a message to all the other players that it it was going to happen, you know, to you also. Because you know, Ronnie Ronnie went to the Raiders, and I think he went on to the Jets for a while. Then yep, I yep. I went to the Raiders, and I went to Seattle. So I think it sent a message that you know that uh, that it could, it could really happen to you, uh, just like it happened to Joe. Yeah, well, is that he tells that story about in the Super Bowl in the huddle in that critical time and noticing John Candy, the late actor comedian, in, yeah. in, in the stands. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that from your point of view in the huddle? Is that accurate in terms of the way he describes it? <laughs> Hey, hey, Chris! I was so I was I had blinders on. I, I was so focused and uh, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do after I broke the huddle. That you know, <laughs> I, I heard someone say something like that. But once that huddle broke, man, it was like complete quietness. It, it was almost like you know, you talk about um, uh, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, all these great players. You know, talk about going into the zone, Tiger Woods. You know, I couldn't hear anything, and it's just like uh, I was just uh, so focused on my route running, catching the ball, and, and, and just moving the chain. So, yeah, obviously doing your job. Every receiver wants the football, and we use the term diva receiver. It's accepted out there. We're talking with uh, Jerry Rice on, on CMI. So so you did, but if there was a problem of – and you had Roger Craig and uh, John Taylor. You had Brent Jones over tight. You had all kinds of talent on this team. We know well, Bill Walsh liked to – work it around, but they, they found you enough. But if you weren't getting the ball, how did you, it seemed like it didn't get, sometimes things would leak out, but how did you handle that without coming off as a selfish guy, but a guy wanting to do his part because you know you could do it well? Well, I think the thing is, you still have to be involved in the game. So if I was not getting the ball, then I was taking my frustration out on the defense by blocking. <laughs> Just doing something like that. Just staying active. But there's only one ball, and when you got so many players, you know, like Brent Jones, uh, uh, John Taylor, Roger Craig. So, you know, we worked together as a cohesive group, and I think that really made us uh, so electrifying uh, on the football field, and I think that's the reason why we were able to win so many games. But you have to respect each other, and you have to wait for your opportunity. And, you know, Joe would look at me a certain way. He he knew my body language. You know, okay, I <laughs> – I need to get Jerry involved or something like that. And Steve, he was the same way. But I didn't want those guys to force the ball to me because when you force the ball, uh, it's only gonna you're only gonna have an interception or something like that. But I've heard them say that they could throw the ball even if it looked like you were covered. They could still throw it to you because they trusted that you would find a way to get your hands on it. Yeah, you, you know, I always uh, uh, would go up and fight for the ball, and, and that's something Bill Walsh taught me. You know, don't wait for the ball to come to you. Go and attack the football. And, uh, and you know, when I broke uh, Jim Brown's record, I, I think uh, the 127, uh, I remember it was against the Raiders on Monday night, and Steve threw the ball up, and uh, he, he just gave me an opportunity, and the ball was just like all of a sudden just slowed down. I could see the rotation of the ball. I could see the front of the ball. And I knew I had a lot of defenders around me, and if I had waited, uh, one of those guys probably would have batted the ball down, but I went up and I attacked the ball, and I I probably broke the the greatest football player ever to play the game record, uh, Jim Brown. 
Yeah, and yeah, that's where the list starts with you two up at the top when we talk about, you know, this is football players, not not just receivers or or running backs with Jerry Rice and Jim Brown. I, I did want to talk about and, and they can you have a couple of different books that people can read, but just I remember you talking about and I mentioned being the, the, the son of a brick mason in Mississippi and, and just your hands and, and maybe too it had something to do with the detail, the way things had to be lined up. Uh, but we all can relate to our roots and how it affected us in a in a direction of, of our lives or, or careers. Uh, what, what, what about development of your hands and, and, and connecting those things to who you became? Man, I, I remember in high school, I had these humongous hands. Everybody would notice my hands before they noticed anything about my face or anything else. So I would always have my hands in my pocket. And uh, my father would take me to work with him, uh, you know, during the summer. And it was a very tough job. He was a bricklayer. We would be up on the scaffold about 20 feet in the air. My brothers, you know, they would throw those bricks up in the air, and I would just snatch them out of the air. And I think that helped me with hand and eye coordination. But, you know, I, I always had this, this, this feel with my hands. I knew I would do something. I didn't know exactly what, but it, I ended up playing uh, the greatest sport ever, you know, professional football and playing on the greatest team with the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, and and are you still involved with the 49ers? I know I know I, we can follow you on Instagram and Twitter, and I've seen you at, at games at least prior. Uh, what what is your your involvement and association still with the uh, defending NFC champs? Well, you know, I, I still go in. I, I still uh, uh, mentor. You know, some of the players, and you know, it's a whole different year this year because I was like their biggest cheerleader last year. Uh, you know, doing football games, but now, now I have to cheer from home. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just being around those guys, letting those guys know that it is a standard, you have to work for everything. And also, I uh, respect, uh, the fans, you know, because the fans, they pay your salary. Uh, they give you that motivation to, uh, go out there and be the best football player that you could possibly be. Uh, and, and, you know, just being around the team and showing my face. Yeah, what is your greatest? And in, in, when you look back, in terms of career accomplishment, uh, is it MVP Super Bowl? Is it what you referenced uh, with Jim Brown? Is there an individual, or just having played twenty years? What What are you most proud of when we look at the the playing career of Jerry Rice? I think I'm more proud of that I got the opportunity to live a dream, because as a kid, I remember growing up, and I would always just ask my my parents uh, for football. Not, not knowing that I, I was destined to play uh, professional football, but I would just get that football and I would go out there on on that Christmas day. I would kick that ball around. I would throw it around with my brothers and stuff like that. And I and I asked for a football every year, and uh, then I get the opportunity to live the dream of uh, so many individuals uh, to play professional football and playing with. Uh, the greatest owner, Eddie DeBarlo, uh, Carmen Policy, then the greatest coach, uh, Bill Walsh, on the greatest team uh, with uh, Montana and Dwight Clark and all these great players running lot. It's just something I'll never forget. Yeah, you know, and we see John Lynch, former player who has done so well in the front office with the 49ers. Uh, some have tried former players uh, and haven't succeeded. Is that something you would have an interest in? I know you love football and you've already said you're you're kind of coaching maybe more as a consultant or helping players and with the organization, but is that a path as much as you like to stay busy that you'd want to dive into in some form? You, you know, uh, Chris, I, I, I think I like being more of a mentor because I, I devoted myself to football for over 20 years. 
I, my main focus right now is uh, my company, Go Fuel, uh, trying to build that company and, uh, and, and, and just make a mark. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, I, I just, I feel like being around it and I still support it. And, uh, and we came close last year, uh, with the, you know, San Francisco 49ers against, uh, the Chiefs, but the Chiefs ended up winning that Super Bowl and we, we're trying to get back again this year. Well, it's always 49er fans love to hear you say we, no matter what. And it was, it was great. And, and they've had some injuries early, but the 49ers, I'm sure, will figure it out. We always enjoy our time uh, talking to you. Good luck with the company. Stay in touch, uh, Jerry. Always enjoy uh, covering you and talking to you. You take care. All right. You take care. And, and you know you're a goat, right? <laughs> what is that in a good way? Is that mean we're getting old? No, I, that's I a good way. No, 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 that's a good way. You're the greatest of all time, man. Keep doing your thing, okay? Well, I, coming from Jerry Rice, I'll, I'll take that and run with it. I, I really appreciate it. All right, you take care. We'll talk soon. Right. Jerry Rice right. uh, with us on CMI, the Chris Myers interview on Podcast One. We thank you for listening and hope you tune in next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. They found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. Now, the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers than they could before. And now, people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams.